You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. God made the world good, and God has a purpose for the body. He raised the body, and now the body ascends into heaven. This was not somebody dying and their soul leaving their body, ho-hum, just another person that dies on earth and goes into heaven. These are not the same events. This is Jesus' body and soul rising to the highest location in heaven so that he may be exalted. That's what the ascension is. Have you ever stopped to think just how incredible the ascension of Jesus is? Jesus could have been taken up into heaven in any manner he wanted. He could have just disappeared at the snap of his fingers or gone away in the middle of the night with no one around. But he was taken up in the day before the disciples' eyes in a physical manner. Why? Today, Pastor Tom shows us that this way he had eyewitnesses to testify to the validity and uniqueness of the event. It was unlike anything that had ever happened. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 1 as he continues his message, Why Jesus' Ascension Matters. Don't let Luke's brief description of the Ascension fool you. New Testament teaching makes a big deal out of the Ascension of Christ. It shows its import, and not only its import, but often appeals to the practical value of our knowledge that our Lord is seated at the right hand of the Father. That we need to think that way, not just, oh, Jesus is in heaven. No, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. There's a difference. There are a lot of other people in heaven. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And that has practical consequences for how we view it. In fact, the consequences of Jesus' Ascension are immense. So important is the ascension. Sometimes the New Testament, when it describes what Jesus did, goes from his sufferings on the cross right to his exaltation and only assumes that the resurrection happened. That's how important it is. Case in point. Philippians 2, 9 and 10. Being found in appearance as a man... He, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God, you could say raised him from the dead. That would have been fine. But it says God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. It's talking about his ascension. The resurrection is assumed. So we need to grow in our appreciation for Jesus' ascension. In order to do that, we need to picture actually what happened. If you look ahead at verse 12. You will note down in verse 12 that the ascension took place on the Mount of Olives, also called Olivet. The Mount of Olives is a small range of three or four summits that overlook Jerusalem from the east side across the Kidron Valley. The mount was thickly wooded in Jesus' day and rich with olive trees from which it derives its name, Olivet. The Garden of Gethsemane, more accurately I think called the Garden near Gethsemane, which in Aramaic means an oil press, was somewhat down the hillside toward the base of the mount. Apparently, the olive trees were stripped from the mount when Titus sieged Jerusalem some 40 years after Christ's ascension. Yet today, there are still olive trees, 2,000-year-old olive trees on the hillside that remain. Luke 24 and verse 50 says that the ascension occurred closer to the village of Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, on the far side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. 
the Greek expression in Luke 24.50, if you're working on harmonization, has a double preposition there and probably indicates that the Jesus and his disciples were moving in the direction of Bethany but did not actually get as far as Bethany. The traditional site of the ascension is marked today by a tower, although no one knows if the site is exact. We got to go there when we traveled to Israel. We got to go up to the top of the Mount of Olives and go to that traditional site where the tower was. And I was asked to pray up there. And so we kind of stood in a circle and prayed. I said, what am I going to pray on the top of the Mount of Olives? I know what I'm going to pray. Maranatha, Lord, come. And so I got to pray that as a highlight of my visit. This is close to where the Lord Jesus will return and his feet, his literal human feet, will touch the Mount of Olives. And then he'll walk into the city of Jerusalem. So that was a joy of mine. This is a real place and uh, we're supposed to know that it's going to happen. Real history, real geography. Now the Ascension Day was 40 days after Easter or what we call Resurrection Sunday. This encompasses the 40 days over which the Lord appeared to the disciples mentioned back in verse 3. You may remember Jesus waited to be ascended these 40 days in order to give the full proof of his resurrection to the disciples. Those many convincing proofs that were mentioned back in verse 3. He also waited to instruct them accurately concerning the true nature of the kingdom of God so they would know exactly what it is. That's also mentioned in verse 3. From verses 4 and 6, we know that the 11 disciples and possibly some of the others were gathered with Jesus on the mount as he taught them. The beginning of verse 9 says that the ascension took place after he had said these things. This, of course, refers back to his command to be witnesses. In Luke 24 and verse 50, it mentions an unrecorded blessing that Jesus gave the disciples as he raised his arms above them. That blessing, blessing his disciples, with, and then giving him that final command to witness were his last words to the apostles. Then right after he spoke these words and the blessing, it says so simply there, if you look at it, he was lifted up. <laughs> That's it. Wow. He was lifted up. This is a passive verb. It shows that God did something supernatural. God acted upon the body of Jesus and God lifted him up. Now, can you imagine standing there with Christ as he's being lifted off the ground? He's starting to ascend. You've never seen anything like this before. You haven't read this in the Bible. It's just happening in front of you. How exactly did that work? Well, we don't know. It's advanced physics. It's something that MIT and Stanford haven't discovered yet. We do know this. He had no wings. He had no jetpack. He was just there, and then he started defying gravity and going up. Does um, God's omnipotence need a further explanation to you? Gravity could hardly be a deterrent to a God who made gravity in the first place. Remember, this is the same man who walked on water. This is the same man who talked to a storm and told it to be still. That would be handy today, wouldn't it? Hurricanes coming towards the East Coast, cease, be still. Nature obeyed this man, won't obey us. So here it is, just a silent, unhurried, steady liftoff. Jesus became a hovering aircraft. He became an unidentified flying object. 
Honestly, I get the impression that since Jesus wanted them to witness that ascension and see it and remember it in their minds, that he probably took off kind of slowly to make sure he was grabbing their attention. And then as he was going up, probably got a little more rocket fuel and it took off a little faster. The Greek word that is used there for lifted up is epiro. It's used, interestingly, in Acts 27.40 for them hoisting up a sail, going up and up and up. So one minute they're standing there with him on the mountain, and the next minute he's just hoisted up and up and up. Not a rocket shot, a gradual liftoff, yet a definite and undeniable, and I would add an unstoppable liftoff. Luke 24 says he was carried up by the power of God. In Mark 16, 19, it says he was received up into heaven. You ever seen those uh, sci-fi movies where the alien craft comes, hovers over and sucks somebody up into it, you know? Jesus was received up into heaven. He did not suddenly vanish like he had been doing over the 40 days of resurrection appearances. He'd appear and disappear, walk